to the 19th episode of the Red Sox and Filter Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green. Uh, we got a great episode for you guys today. Joining me, as always, is Dave Latham, who is the co-host of this Red Sox and Filter Podcast. Dave, say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. And then we got another co-host in the building, Jordan DeCoe. Jordan, also say hey. Hey, how's it going? Yes, so we're recording a little earlier than usual. Typically, we record on Sundays, but since I will be going out of town, we had to do a one episode today, bright and early. So, uh, yeah, we don't have much of the Orioles series actually having have had to happen yet. So uh, we're going to kind of break down what happened in, against Toronto, and then we're going to preview the rest of the series, and we're going to talk about Friday's game. This is recorded Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time, so uh, bear with us. But, uh, yes, yeah, still should be an awesome episode. Um, so let's just get right into it. We're going to start by recapping what happened. Red Sox, Blue Jays, it was an exciting series. It was fun. Uh, lots of runs scored. That is for sure. The bullpen didn't look good. Eh, the bullpen hasn't looked good this week. But again, Red Sox have been able to counter that with home runs and hits and extra innings. Uh, it's been fun. So the first game, it was on Tuesday. And it was a 10-7 to come from behind victory. That was awesome. They had the five-run 10th inning, um, which propelled the Sox ultimately win. I think they had like, what? Uh, eight runs after the seventh or eighth inning because J.D. Martinez had a late three-run home run, too. Uh, Drew Pomeranz pitched in this game. He threw four and two-thirds innings of two earned runs of ball, five walks and one strikeout. That is a horrendous K-to-BV ratio. Luckily, we probably won't have to see it anymore because he's been moved to the bullpen. We'll talk about that in a sec. But uh, Mitch Moreland and J.B.J., they hit extra inning homer. Uh, in the 10th inning, Mitch Moreland took one to deep right field. He absolutely crushed that pitch. That was awesome. And then JBJ did the same. He uh, n- knocked one out of the park. I think it was also right field. Yeah, I think they both pulled the ball. So, uh, yeah, JBJ, Mitch Moreland, uh, late inning heroics. Um, and then it was, an, yeah, like I said, it was announced later in the week that Palm has been moved to the bullpen. It finally happened. People have been clamoring it, it to happen. And it took a little while, but we're here, and I think most Red Sox fans, and I think we've talked about this before, we're pretty stoked. Uh, Brian Johnson will have the fifth spot in the rotation um, until uh, whenever Eduardo Rodriguez comes back. Um, Dave, what were your thoughts on this move finally actually coming to fruition? Yeah, well, you know, it's about time. Um, Paul Morantz, he was great in 2017. You know, that was a fantastic season, not taking anything away from him there. But it's in the past. 2018 Palm just doesn't have whatever 2017 Palm had. Be it injuries, mechanics, or just having a bad year. Whatever it is, he's better suited for the bullpen this year. He's a two-pitch pitcher, and when both pitches are working, he's really good. And you can get away with that as a starter. But this year, they just haven't been working as well. So putting him in the bullpen where he only needs to face guys one time, it works out better for him. And Johnson certainly deserved the chance to start. He's been fantastic all year. His last start, he went seven innings, gave up five runs, but that's a little deceiving because uh, Johnson gave up a three-run homer in uh, in his last yeah, inning of work, and inning. he probably should have been out, out of the game by then. Alex Cora even said in the post game that you know he was going more for getting Johnson to eat innings than he was um, 
keeping the score down because the bullpen had been worked so much. So yeah. Cora essentially forfeited that three-run home run just to keep the bullpen fresh. So Johnson's really done everything asked of him. Pomeranz uh, hasn't as a starter. He made one uh, bullpen appearance yesterday, looked pretty good. But, you know, he's best for the bullpen. Johnson's best for the starting rotation. And altogether, it's what's best for this team. Yeah, and you mentioned Pomeranz got two pitch mix. He's got the knuckle curve and the fastball. Um, for the most part, he has a changeup that's a periphery pitch, not very good. He really favors that knuckle. He throws the knuckle curve almost as much as the fastball in a good season. Um, this season, it's kind of been weird for him. The knuckle curve has not been effective. It actually had the last time I looked at it, it had more dip than usual. Maybe that kind of gave it away more. Um, but the fastball velocity is also down. So there were a lot of concerning things with the two pitch mix and now that he will move to the bullpen hopefully his stuff will play up the velocity on the fastball will regain its life and hopefully set up a better usage for Pomeranz in the future uh Jordan what were your thoughts on this move yeah I think I mean like Dave said it was about time uh I think his his year last year gave him a, a pretty long leash given that he had such a great year um but you know this year I think I mean we've, we've covered it enough that um I mean, it, it was it was just about time, and it, like, and it was like it was it was a good thing that uh, he went to the bullpen because he actually threw like you know a pretty good a pretty good inning. Um, I think it was yesterday, uh, like one inning, one walk, one I think one strikeout. So I mean, he he did well in his first bullpen. Stuff, he did, but yeah, like right now, I think it's what's best best for the team. Definitely. Uh, I think we're all in agreement here. Um, but in this game, Craig Kimbrell also blew the save. He got the win. Um, but wins don't really pitcher wins don't matter. So why do we still look at them anyway? Weird tangent. Um, but yeah, Kimber blew his save. Uh, he's been scuffling lately. He's allowed an earned run in four of his last five outings. Uh, Dave, I'm going to ask you first. What do these recent scuffles say about Kimbrel, and can he be as good as he was last year going forward? Well, I don't think Kimbrel can be as good as the last year going forward, just because he was like stupid good last year even 2018 Kimbrel before all this wasn't as good as last year Kimbrel that was something of a career year it was one of the best years from a reliever I've ever seen yeah. so him not being in 2017 form isn't a knack against 2018 Kimbrel it's just acknowledging how good he was last year but uh that said I'm not worried about Kimbrel I mean it's a bad run there's no denying that but he's Craig Kimbrel he's gonna figure it out and he's gonna you know, go back to being the guy we know and love uh, as the season goes on. He's never, over his career, he's never really suffered the uh, second-half slump that a lot of uh, power relievers tend to suffer. He has the physical ability to go an entire season and into a postseason with uh, the exact same stuff he always has. So I think this is just a blip on the radar, and he's going to be fine. Yeah, but before those the last five outings, he had not allowed an earned run in his previous 12. So he was... Uh... He was, had a really good stretch there. Now he's run into some command issues. He's walked five guys. He's only struck out six. That's an also a very bad strikeout-to-walk ratio, especially for a reliever. Um, the problem with Kimbrell this year, as you said, like he, there was no way he was going to replicate what he did in 2017. Uh, maybe not no way because he's done it before earlier in his career, like having numbers similar to that. Um, but the level he produced in 17 was uh, an aberration, especially of late, like 2016, 2015. He was good, but he was around this level. Um, that was an elite year. He did amazing, and Kimbrell's so talented. He's one of the best closers in baseball. But he just kind of like completely 
didn't walk people, which he had been doing for the last couple of years. So it was kind of a blip, kind of an aberration. And I think his walk rate was 1.83 in 2017. It is now like over four. So yeah, that has come back and it is, it is, it is, uh, been harmful for Kimbrell, but he should be able to work through it. I don't expect him to be 17 form, but Kimbrell's still one of the best relievers in baseball. And I don't think anyone should expect otherwise. Uh, Jordan, what about you? What are your thoughts on Craig Kimbrell's recent struggles? Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's a 162, 162 sorry, 162-game season. I think um, uh, for it, I mean, for as good as the closer is, even Kimbrell's going to have some, um, some, I guess, some some down games. Um, I think what's really important, like as he gets up, as he works out of the slump, is just when he throws as hard as he does, command is like super important. So, um, I mean, that's something he's going to have to work on, but, uh, overall, like he's, he's still like one of the best relievers in baseball. And, uh, I, I think he's going he's gonna to get through it. Okay. We all believe in Kimbrell. Kimbrell don't let us down. The Red Sox bullpen needs you. They're not doing very well lately. Um, but yeah, so then we're going to move on to Wednesday. They also scored 10 runs, so 20 runs between these two games. Actually, the four games the Red Sox have played, they've scored 44 runs in their last four games against really crappy pitching in the Toronto Blue Jays and Baltimore Orioles, but 44 runs. That is that is something. Um, but yeah, the on Wednesday, they won 10-5. to Raphael Devers, our large son, made his return to the lineup. Uh, shout out to Dave. I, you were probably very excited about that. He went two for four with a double home run and a walk. So how happy, Dave, were you to see Raphael Devers back in the lineup? Uh, to say it was the greatest day of my life might be a little bit of hyperbole, but it's definitely a top five. So, um, you know, it's just so great to have him back. He's such a great addition to this lineup. I know Eduardo Nunez has been doing better lately, but he's just not the same hitter Devers is when Devers really gets going. He can hit it to all parts of the field with power. He's just phenomenal. And he's drawn walks, um, I think, each of the two games he's played since he's uh, come off the DL. One of them drove in a run uh, yesterday with the bases loaded. So, I mean, it's a small sample to be sure. But if he's getting better at, like, selecting his pitches, working the count, and kind of not just swinging at everything and hoping he makes contact, that only makes him even better. And he's going to do that. He's 21 years old. He's going to get better as time goes on. But he, if he's already like making notable improvements, notable strides in those areas, he just becomes even more dangerous in this Red Sox lineup, which is already the best in baseball, gets even deeper. Yeah. Uh, play discipline to me is weird. It's kind of like hard to learn. I mean, again, you'll probably get repetition, so it's easier to you know be selective at the plate going forward because you have that muscle memory. But it's so reactionary and it's like so it's microseconds that it's hard to kind of like hone it into a workable skill to make improvements. But there are people who do it and Devers as young as you said. So hopefully he'll get that repetition and uh, work on those improvements. His uh, is like his play discipline kind of reminds me of Eduardo Nunez, uh, as you mentioned, Nunez. Because they both are free swingers, uh, kind of reminiscent to Pablo Sandoval a little bit, even though Sandoval's like, I don't know why I brought up Sandoval on a Red Sox podcast in 2018. No one needs to hear that name. But yeah, as you said, Devers can hit power to all fields. He's got a great opposite field swing when he uses it. Um, but his his opposite field percentage this year, so in 2017, it was 31.5%. In 18, it's 25.1%. 
Uh, that's about six, seven percent drop. Um, that, I don't know how encouraging that, uh, discouraging that is because he has the, actually a harder, a higher hard hit percentage this season. But um, Dave, I'm going to go here with you. Uh, does Devers have to hit the ball frequently to the opposite field to maximize his success? Uh, he has the power where if he does become a pull-only hitter, he can be a decent enough bat in a lineup. Like he, He'll still get his doubles. He'll still get his homers if he only hits it to right. But he, he's so much better when he can hit it to all parts of the field with power, and he has the potential to do that. And if really, I don't see why anyone wouldn't do that because if you can, if you can uh, hit the ball to all parts of the field, the other team can't play the shift on you, which only opens up even more for you. So your average is going to go up. Your on-base percentage is going to go up. Some of those, um, you know, you'll get singles, which I know singles aren't a big part of the game anymore, but they're a heck of a lot better than outs. They are. Um, and it just opens up the whole field. So I really think that if Devers is going to be the best player he can be, he needs to hit a tall pass to the field. And I certainly think he has the potential to do that. He's done that for the majority of his young career. Me too. Uh, when Devers is hitting to the opposite field, I think you have the best version of Raphael Devers possible. Jordan, what about you? Does Devers have to hit balls frequently to the opposite field to maximize his success, or can he get away with what he's doing right now? I mean, he can get away with being a pull hitter, but like, why would like if he like if you can hit balls to opposite field, then why not? I mean, you're just you're kind of limiting yourself as a uh, as a hitter, and then that just kind of you kind of um, limit yourself like producing in the lineup. So uh, I think, you know, like, yes, you could get away with it, but at the end of the day, like, why, like, you know, why not? You're kind of hurting yourself if you can't utilize like your, all of your strengths. So absolutely. Agree. Devers has to me the prettiest, one of the prettiest opposite field swings on the team. JD Martinez is first. I, yeah, Martinez is first, but Devers has such great opposite field power. He could use it to, is great advantage he has the wall right there um but yeah moving on brian johnson went seven innings as dave mentioned earlier when talking about johnson he had five earned runs he struck out six and two walks he did not get 12 k's i don't know if people listened last week but i went on a tangent about johnson getting 11 strikeouts which was a career high by a landslide and i was excited to see if he could get to 12 it wasn't going to happen it was never going to happen but it was something i was personally had some investment in and you know, didn't didn't actually happen come to fruition. Um, so he gave up that three-run home run late in the seventh inning. He should not have been in that game at that point. He had pitched very well before that. Um, so, yeah, well, Jordan, what were your thoughts on Brian Johnson's performance? You know what? I mean, he's been, he's been pitching well leading up to that, uh, to that start or that appearance. Um, I mean, it's a bummer, but at the same time, like, I, I like, I, I'm, I guess, I guess I'm gonna say like he's gonna have a bad outing here and there, and like, like Dave said earlier, like he's been doing everything that's asked for him. So, you know, even though you, you hate to see Johnson have a bad outing, um, I mean, I like, I don't, want, I'm not gonna say expect it, but it's just like, you know, he's been doing well. If he has a bad outing here and there, I mean, it, it is what it is. Yeah, and Dave, you covered Johnson's outing a little bit uh, before. Do you want to add anything before we move on? Um, I mean, it's just great to see him starting to go deeper into games. Is I guess the only thing I'll add. He wasn't doing that as much earlier in the year. Yeah. Now, a lot of that was because most of the season 
he was a reliever, so he physically wasn't capable of going too deep into games. But it's great to see him start to get used to going deep into games. And if he's a guy that can like get you six in, get you six innings of you know three run ball or something like that, and he's your fifth starter, that's a really great place to be in. So um, I certainly think Johnson has the potential to do that. He's shown the ability to do it multiple times this year. Um, so if his body's up for it, I'm. I think it's just you know makes this rotation even deeper. We've already covered um, the bullpen's probably the weak link of the team right now. But so if you have um, five guys that are able to go deep into games, that just makes it even better. So you don't have to rely on the bullpen as much. You know who didn't go deep into his game on Thursday night? It was an 8-5 loss. Rick Porcello. He went uh, four innings and gave up seven earned runs. And this was literally on the heels. The game before, he went a complete game, nine innings against the Yankees. Uh, the Blue Jays don't have a horrible lineup, but wow, that was uh, zero to or hundred to zero real quick. Um, the only silver lining in this game was Mookie Betts. He hit the first cycle in 2018. I think he, I don't even know the order of how it happened, but the home run was last. It came in the ninth inning off Ken Giles. Uh, that's kind of poetic and perfect because Ken Giles sucks. Um, the last Red Sox to hit a cycle was Brock Holt in 2015. Before that, you have to go back to like the 1990s, mid-1990s to find another cycle. Boston has had no other player in the current century. Yeah, I just said that uh, to accomplish this feat. So that was cool. Um, Dave, what were your thoughts on the cycle? So, yeah, go Mookie. I mean, just another thing to the endless list of things Mookie Betts is capable of doing. Um, dude was amazing. Rick Porcello was not. But, you know, you can't win them all. I'm, this Red Sox team is certainly trying to, but uh, sadly, you can't win them all. Um, it's weird how Porcello kind of, like, always gets crushed by the Blue Jays. Not always, but... His worst starts of the year yeah. have come against them. It sort of makes you wonder, like, do they have a thing on Porcello's mechanics that nobody else knows, or is it just, like, one of those weird things? So, um, yeah, pretty bad game, but, yay, Mookie hit for the cycle, and that's awesome. We took two of three. Who cares? Even when the Red Sox lose, they do something remarkable, and Mookie Betts did something remarkable. So I don't even take it as a real loss. These things are inevitable. Mookie Betts had a, one of his best nights of his career. It was awesome to see, so no, not a real loss in my book. Um, Brock Holt also said something that was hilarious. I think he said something to the effect after Betts hit the cycle. Mookie took the only thing I had away from me, because referencing that he had hit the cycle before and he was the only one on the team. Holt's hilarious. That was funny. Uh, Jordan, what were, what were your thoughts on the cycle? Yeah, I mean, it's just another, uh, like Dave said, it's just another thing to add, another thing to add to the list of uh, Mookie Betts events. Um, and, uh, I mean, like you said, Pat, like even when the Red Sox are, uh, are losing, they do something pretty cool. So, you know, it's, too bad that too bad it's too bad that they lost but at the same time it's like it you know Mookie did it again so you know it, it, it didn't hurt that bad no 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 it did not um so we're actually going to get into a polarizing discussion here people have been talking about this since day one it's always fun to look at and talk about we haven't talked about it in a while i know we've discussed this a few times on this podcast but it seems like as good a time as any because it's getting even closer and we're, what, mid-August now? We only got a month and a half left of the season. We'll continue to talk about this. This is captivating. But it's the AL MVP race. The Red Sox have two guys in Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez who are right there. I think Dave actually wrote an article about who is more valuable to the team, Mookie 
Betts or JD Martinez on RedSoxUnfiltered.com. Give that a check. But yeah, so basically there's been a three-headed monster and JD Martinez seems to be right on the peripheral of it. Um, Mookie Betts, Jose Ramirez, and Mike Trout have been vying for the AL MVP uh, all season. They've all had amazing years. So I wanted to get your thoughts, Dave, on who's the front runner right now. Well, my front runner is Mookie Betts. Um, like you said, Pat, right now it's a four-headed race. Mookie, J.D., Jose Ramirez, and Mike Trout. I'd honestly put Mike Trout as number four on that list Whoa. just because the other three are having such fantastic seasons. Trout's doing what he normally does. Trout's normally fantastic, but he's not quite where the other three are in my eyes. So, um, But I'd give it to Mookie right now um, just because the dude is absolutely just unbelievable this year. He leads the league in average his slugging percentage, and this is uh, off by a day or two, but he has a 6.35, a 6.53 slugging percentage, 186 WRC plus. He plays Gold Glove defense. He's one of the best base runners in the league. There's really nothing this kid cannot do, and he's basically the best at everything he tries. So I have to give it to Mookie right now. All due respect to JD. All due respect to Jose Ramirez, but right now it's Mookie Betts for me. I would love to go bowling with Mookie Betts. I, I think, you know, we see him as a baseball player every day, and he does amazing, but he, he has a side career, I guess, as a bowler, and he's apparently super good. I think he pitched a perfect game in, like, the Celebrity Classic. Yeah, uh, I saw him uh, the, the day of the Super Bowl. The Pats Eagles won. Mookie was in a pro bowling tournament, and I remember <laughs> thinking, if Mookie wins this and the Pats win the Super Bowl, the best day of my life, Mookie came in second and the Pats lost. So I'm sorry, dude. But it was cool while it was happening. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to watch the puppy bowl on Animal Planet during the house. That's like at 12 o'clock. That kind of makes it better. But um, yeah, Mookie Betts is uh, pretty awesome at everything he does. I, I, and I'm pretty big into bowling. I'm getting into it. So if Mookie Betts ever wants a fan to follow him around and, you know, clean his bowling ball or something, I don't know. I, I'd be I, I'd be down. I like bowling. Mookie Betts is awesome. Um, but in my opinion, uh, Mookie Betts is the MVP. He actually overtook Jose Ramirez and Mike Trout in the F War leaderboards after like a torrid week. He's he has actually accumulated one whole war in the last seven days, and I think that comes in six games because they were off Monday. So that's a and I'm not a gospel war guy. These are percentage points here, but yeah, a lot of the top the talk about this MVP race has been centered on wins above replacement, um, and that's like a whole other discussion, but. Yeah, Mookie Betts is in, in front. He is 7.7. He is 0.1 ahead of Mike Trout, uh, who has 7.6, and he's 0.2 ahead of Jose Ramirez at 7.5. J.D. Martinez, since he's been DHing and he's not a good fielder and he's not a great base runner, is a little behind them, but offensively, he, he's right there with Jose Ramirez. Um, if I had to rank them, I'd go Betts. Betts all around has had a fantastic year. He does everything. I don't know much more to say. He actually has 194 WRC plus. I looked at the updated uh, leaders today. He leads baseball, which is cool, which is awesome. He leads in slugging percentage. On base percentage actually goes to Mike Trout, and it's not really close. He's like a 459 OBP, and I think the next closest is like 409, which is Betts. Don't quote me on that, but yeah, Trout has a really big gap in on base percentage. Trout actually just went on the DL, which will help um, Monkey's case. The thing is. Uh, 
Trout and Ramirez have been on the field more this year. I think they have 50 more plate appearances, and they've played like 15 more games. When you're on the field, you're adding value. So that all obviously has to be factored into the discussion. Now, Betts is kind of making up for it on a rate basis. I think there's no question he's been the best player. And now that Trout is literally going on the DL, he'll make up for lost time. Jose Ramirez, meanwhile, is not really close to Trout. I mean, he is, but not really. He's not as good of a hitter or, or as valuable as a hitter as Trout or Betts have been this season. Betts is 194 WRC plus. Trout's at 190. Jose Ramirez is at 175. Where Ramirez gets the leg up is he's an extremely good defender, but he hasn't really been as versatile this year. I mean, he has the ability, but he hasn't been playing multiple positions. He's been, I think he's played every single game at third base. He's a really good base runner. He's got the most stolen bases of the group, 27 stolen bases, five caught stealing. He's only grounded into one W, uh, one, one, double play which is incredible um not a lot of people have done that um and then another thing he does is he, he leads baseball in bsr which is like the fit the base running component that goes into war so there's a lot to like about ramirez if i had to rank i'd go Betts, trout ramirez and then francisco lindor because lindor has been awesome too he's been uh he almost has 30 home runs francisco lindor he's 29 home runs right now plus he's got stellar gold glove defense and then my fifth would be jd martinez jordan what about you give us your al mvp update you know what i was um as you guys were talking i was thinking jd martinez for the sheer fact that he's been hitting the cover off the ball but the mvp race isn't just about hitting so i'm gonna go with you guys i'm gonna go with mookie Betts. i mean like he, he's uh he's consistent at the plate, like probably not like at, on the run that like he had when um when the season started, but he has been um you know playing stellar stellar defense, and then you know is uh he's been doing some good base running. So I think overall, like my my pick is Mookie Betts. Good pick. It was unanimous. Not surprising. This is a Red Sox podcast, and Mookie Betts has probably been the best player in baseball. So nothing, uh, nothing surprising here. Now I have another question that I just thought of: Which duo is better, JD Martinez and Mookie Betts, or Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez? Starting with you, Dave. Um, boy, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna. I'm obviously biased, but I'm going to give it to the uh, Red Sox, uh, Mookie Betts, and JD, but only by the narrowest of margins. Um. Just because, you know, obviously, I think Mookie and uh, J.D. are the better bats just because they're they two are. of the three or yeah. four best hitters in baseball this year. But if you're maybe looking for more of an all-around, rounded-out type of duo, that's probably going to be Cleveland just because Lindor and Ramirez, they both give you something on the base path. So they both give you something in the field, whereas J.D. and Mookie, Mookie does all that. But J.D. really... He's there for his bat and his bat alone. He can't really field that well. He's a very unremarkable base runner. So it's really sort of a style preference. And, you know, I'd take this year, I would take J.D. and Mookie over Lindor and uh, Ramirez. I will have to disagree. Very, it's very close, but I will take Lindor and Ramirez. I love me some good fielding. I love me some good base running. Mookie Betts, as you said, does that. That's obvious. J.D. Martinez doesn't. Martinez has is you know one of the best hitters in baseball, maybe outside Mookie Betts, Mike Trout. But I'm going to go Ramirez and Lindor just because of the defensive acumen that they both have. They're complete players. Martinez is not, but Martinez is so wonderful offensively that like I hate even like dismissing that. But yeah, I'll go Ramirez and Lindor as the more valuable package right now and then even going forward because they are younger um, and they have more potential. What about you, Jordan? 
Um, I mean, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Betts and Martinez. Uh, I was thinking in my head, just as a joke, if we could intermingle, I'd, I'd do Betts and uh, Betts and Lindor. But um, you know, since since that's just breaking the rules, I'm not yeah. gonna go there. But <laughs> for the sake for the sake of uh, for the sake of the podcast, I'm going to uh, go Betts and Martinez. Okay, so I was the trailblazer here. I'm, I'm the lone wolf. Um, so that that's a thing. But yeah, we're going to move on to... We also take the Yankees to win the AL East this year, so you know. We don't need to talk about that, Dave. I, I, I'm ashamed as anyone about that. I also think I picked the Angels to make the playoffs, too, on our preseason predictions. There was a lot of crap that went wrong. I picked the Nationals. Uh, I had the Angels in there, too, so yeah. don't feel too bad about that yeah. one. I think I picked the Nationals in the World Series, though, which might even be worse in hindsight. I mean, not a lot of people saw that coming, but yeah, my predictions were just crap. I'm, I'm going to get back next year and I'm not going to bet against when the Red Sox and Yankees are this close and and I write for a Red Sox site I'm I'm just going to pick the Red Sox from now on um yeah moving on moving on to Friday so the Red Sox won 19 to 12 it was a mash fest uh 33 hits combined in this game and the O's actually out hit the Red Sox the Orioles picked up 17 hits the Red Sox 16 Nathan Eovaldi the wonder kid who they just picked up or they actually traded for a couple weeks ago he'd thrown 15 scoreless innings he had been remarkable against the Orioles who by all standards are probably the worst team in baseball outside of the Royals maybe um he he got shelled he threw two and two-thirds innings and gave up 10 hits eight runs four earned runs Dave what were your thoughts on Evoldi's performance yeah, so I didn't expect Devoldi to never allow a run in a Red Sox uniform, but I didn't expect that either. He just didn't have his cutter, so without that, he becomes a lot more hittable. And just all around, except for offensively, just defensively, we looked very sloppy all day. Uh, oh, yeah. Holt, I saw, missed an infield single that I probably could have gotten to. Jackie Bradley made an error, which you never see happen. It was a hard catch, but still, it's Jackie. You expect him to come down with it. And, uh, you know, just all around, not great. Evaldi got shelled. The bullpen didn't do much better either, but it's okay because our offense is amazing. So Yeah, even even though Evaldi gave up, you know, eight runs and the bullpen gave up however many more. Oh, I can do the easy math. Four more. Um, the Red Sox scored 19 runs. They, they don't need pitching. They, their, their starters could give up seven, eight runs, which they have lately. And the Red Sox will still be in the game fighting, hitting balls very hard. So, like, this team can literally, I think J.D. Martinez said it perfectly, this team can beat you in so many ways. They can hit home runs. They can scrap together a few hits and create rallies. They can walk their way to tie the game. They can pitch shutout games against the Yankees. They literally can do it all. So it's it's incredible to see even like when the rotation's not doing great and they haven't been great lately after like a, a torrid start. Like the 12th stretch before these this Blue Jays series was like historically good for the Red Sox uh, starters. So it's it's great to see that they could just, you know, pick these guys up. Um, Jordan, what, what about you? What were your thoughts on Eovaldi's performance? You know what? Um, I, I mean, I I kind of expected, well, I, I shouldn't say expected him to have a bad start, but, you know, you would, I mean, I mean, you would think that, like, he, he can't throw, you know, scroll starting, like, every night, even though we would love it. Um, so, you know, you, yeah, you don't expect him to give up 10, 10 hits, but at the same time, it's just like he, um, I, like at the same time, it's just like he, 
he's he's been he's been doing really well. I don't want to say like I I hate to say like you expect some decline, but but you know some regression. I don't think this is a huge thing that um that like he had bad he had a bad outing. Yeah, I mean everyone has a bad outing, and you know no one's an exception. Uh, Evoldi's a good pitcher. He's not a Chris Sale by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, as Dave said, his cutter didn't really, you know, cut, which is uh, this is hard to do well when his. Uh, I think that's been his best pitch. This, I, that's what separated him from 2016 Nathan Evoldi to 2018 Nathan Evoldi is his up and cutter usage. It's been like I think his most valuable pitch in terms of uh, linear weights in terms of pitch values on Fangraphs. So um, the fact that he didn't have it definitely hurt him. But the Red Sox won, so who the heck cares? Uh, Bogarts hit a home run. Brock Holt hit a home run. Brock Holt hit a home run. That was his second of the season. I feel like he hits a lot of his home runs in Camden Yards. I don't know if anyone can fact-check that, but I I feel like whenever they play the Orioles, Holt hits a home run. This probably is subjective bias. I don't have any stats to back that up. But it just seems like whenever Holt is actually hitting home runs, it's Camden Yards. I don't know why. Um, You know, I, I bet you I'll look after this. This podcast is over, and I'll see that Holt has like one career home run in Camden Yards, and I'll be like, oh, what the hell? But for now, I'm sticking with it. Um, but yeah, the bullpen was not great. But the Orioles' bullpen was even worse, so that was cool. Bomb came into the bullpen, though, and he actually got the win and looked pretty decent, which was encouraging. Uh, this is bullpen bomb. Uh, Dave, did you see anything from bullpen bomb that you wanted to talk about? Um. I mean, it's only one outing, so it's really, you know, you can't draw too many conclusions. But he looked really good. Um, he allowed a walk, which has been a big problem for him all year. But he didn't allow a single hit, and the guy that he walked didn't make it past first base. It was a pretty solid outing. He wasn't giving up hard contact. I want to say he struck out just one yeah. guy, but the other two were pretty easy outs. So, you know, it looked encouraging. His fastball velocity was up a little bit. Still not where you want it to be, but it's better than the 88 it was sitting at as a starter. So I do think that maybe these shorter stints over time will allow him to put more on it because he knows he only has to go out for an inning or two at a time. Hopefully that can make him a bit more of an effective weapon. And I think we all overlooked just how good Palms 2017 was. Somewhere in there, there is a good pitcher. If you can get that guy back out even for an inning or two at a time, it certainly helps the team's bullpen. Do you know what his velocity topped out as? Because I don't. I, what was it? Maybe. No. What no. I, I don't know. I, I was asking you. Oh, I, I, gen- uh, I genuinely don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you were totally selling that up. No. <laughs> I, I was just, uh, I, I, I didn't pay too much attention, and now I wish I had. I th- Hopefully it was. I, mean, I want to say I think I saw it hit ninety one a few times, okay. which you know not great. You'd like him more, you know, ninety three ish, but yeah. it's a lot better than how he was consistently hitting eighty eight yeah. as a starter. So you know, it's baby steps, but I'll take them. Yeah, because I'm definitely interested to see like how many ticks he can gain on the fastball. Because I think last year he sat around ninety one. He's had some regression to like eighty eight average on his fastball now. So like, I think there's potential that he can go up to ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. Um, I don't know where it ends, but yeah, now he can go harder, go maximize his stuff because he's pitching shorter uh, stints. So we'll see. Uh, what about you? What What about you, Jordan? What did you see from Palm? From the from the bullpen Pomeran start, like it was, uh, I didn't I didn't see I didn't see that game, but um, I I checked his line before we got on, and 
You know what? Um, I mean, like Dave said, you can't you can't draw too many conclusions from one start, but um, I from one start. But I'm going to say it was a good start out of the bullpen. Definitely, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good, uh, nice, nice way to wean into this new role that he's going to be uh, thrust upon. Hopefully, it can be effective. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, there were they used seven pitchers in this game. That is a lot of pitchers, especially on the eve of having to play a doubleheader today. So that's going to be fun. Um, they did call up William Cuevas, um, so he might start tomorrow, but he also, or start the game two of the doubleheader, or he might relieve, depending on if Hector Velasquez is used in game one, because if Hector Velasquez is not used, he will pitch game two. If he uh, if he is used, then Cuevas will pitch game two, so... We'll see what happens. Uh, Dave, could you give us a little bit of background on Cuevas? Uh, sure, but first, um, I looked up your Brock Holt uh, home run. <laughs> homers in uh, Camden Yards. So he has 15 career home runs. Want to guess how many of those came in Camden Yards? Two. 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 <laughs> yeah, once I said it, I, <laughs> once I said it, I knew it probably wasn't true. But yeah, he has two home runs in Camden Yards. Thank you for looking that up. I look ridiculous. Um, so that's he only. Has I, do, I do what I can. <laughs> he only. Has so yeah. Anyway, back on back on Cuevas for um, the actual topic of the conversation. So I read on somewhere that the plan is that if Hector Velasquez doesn't need to pitch in Game One, he's starting Game Two. Yeah. But if Velasquez, you know, has to pitch Game One, they're turning to Cuevas. Which, with how beat up the bullpen is after the last two games, uh, honestly, I'm betting on Velasquez needing to pitch just because someone has to. So, if Cuevas does end up starting, it's not an ideal situation by any means, but um, he's he's not really a strikeout guy. He only has like a 7.68 K per nine in Pawtucket this year, where he really, I'm not going to say excels because he's not particularly great at it, but his best trait is. Um, his walk rate's pretty down. He has a 2.45, I want to say, walk for nine rate, which mm. at that level's pretty good. Um, none of his pitches are anything special. His fastball sits in the low 90s. It drops as the game goes on. But And he has a curveball changeup and slider. Again, none of them really impressive. They just, they're, they're all mediocre offerings. The only way he wins is by just really uh, locating his pitches. He has to paint the corners because his stuff alone just isn't good enough to get guys out. So that's really what you're looking at here. He's going against a bad team in the Orioles, but that Orioles team also just put up 12 runs against us. So, um, you know, you really don't want to have to tend to Cuevas in my mind, but right now, assuming Velasquez can't start game two, you really don't have a better option. So, you know, not ideal, but hopefully we can just outslug them again in game two. Yeah. Um, I think surprisingly, there was a surprising stat that I listened to on Effectively Wild, which is a Fangraphs podcast. They, I think they said something, it might have been a week ago, might have been a week and a half ago, that the Orioles had scored the most runs in baseball since the Manny Machado trade. Um, I don't know if that's still true, but they put up 12 runs last night, so it might be true, which is kind of you know really surprising considering how porous their offense actually is. That's a weird random event. Um, but yeah, so along the same lines of the bullpen, Ryan Brazier pitched last night and he came in pretty clutch. He's kind of been like a really good cog when some other guys have struggled. We've talked about Brazier before, but, um, 
Dave, what are your thoughts on Brazier right now as things stand? So, yeah, yeah the last few times we've talked about, talked about Brazier, I've approached with cautious optimism because, you know, he kind of came out of nowhere. He'd been a career, like, minor leaguer making a few appearances in the majors, so he was good, and I'm like, yeah, well, I don't want to get too excited about it. Well, I'm getting excited excited about it right now. Brazier has just been absolutely phenomenal, really, ever since coming up to the majors. He's only had, like, maybe one or two bad outings, and um, I'm really excited to see what he brings. I think he's um, slowly working his way up in terms of the ranks of the Boston bullpen. Um, he's not Craig Kimball level. He's never going to get there. Um, he's probably not even Matt Barnes or anything like that, but he's certainly deserving of a spot on the postseason roster. If it started right now, he's in my bullpen. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm still approaching with caution. So, Brazier has the 123 ERA, but he's got a slightly worse FIP, which, you know, those are the underlying peripheral numbers. He's only pitched 14 and two-third innings, so that's more predictive of his future performance than his actual ERA. Now, his FIP is not bad. It's when you get to his expected FIP, if his home run rate was neutralized to a league average level. Um, He hasn't allowed a home run yet. Um, so his ex-FIP is 376, which is not a great, like if his ERA was 376, obviously we would, Brazier would probably be in AAA right now. Um, he has a good 50% plus ground ball percentage. He yields ground balls, so he gets weak contact. So he's probably better than his ex-FIP says, but his WOBA um, allowed this year is 214. Awesome. Incredible. His expected WOBA is 296, which is not bad. But that seems to suggest there is some regression to the mean that will be inevitable here. And when it happens, I yeah, I don't know how much they can trust Brazier because he's not a high strikeout guy. He's got a like a seven K per nine. His walk rate is not wonderful either. I think it's around league average. He doesn't really stand out in any part of his game, um, even allowing weak contact. I mean, I guess he does allow generate some weak contact, but. Yeah, his expected WOBA is kind of factored into the quality of contact that has been hit against him. Um, so Brazier, I'm not sure what kind of what the future holds for him. I think he can be a quality reliever, but I don't think he'll be a sub-150 ERA guy going forward. I think you can get closer to a 3 ERA and be valuable, but he's not going to pitch like he's done right now. Uh, what about you, Jordan? What are your thoughts on uh, Ryan Brazier? Uh, yeah, I, I, I like this as uh, his... I don't know, game logs um, leading up to this podcast. And I think he's like, through 13 starts, he's only given up two earned runs. I either need to double check or get fact checked on that. But um, I mean, I've liked what, I, what I've seen. He's kind of been uh, like a sneaky call up. Um, like Dave said, like he's not, he's, he's making his way like through the ranks of the bullpen, but like is never going to be Craig Kimbrell. So I think it's a good, like, nice, quite. Uh, Nice, quiet pickup. It's been a good, um, yeah, it's been a good pickup for the Red Sox in the bullpen. Definitely good. Uh, it's been a good acquisition. Um, hopefully, he can sustain it. But now, since we're on the subject of the Red Sox and Orioles, as everyone should know, the Red Sox are really, really good, and they're on pace to be an historic regular season team in terms of win percentage. Meanwhile, the Orioles are a really, really bad team, and they are on pace to be a historically bad team in terms of regular season record. So I want to. Add, I did a poll on this on Red Sox Unfiltered, which you know our our answers are going to be biased because we're soliciting most of our opinions from diehard Red Sox fans. So the question was, which team will end up with more Red Sox wins or Orioles losses? I'm going to start here with you, Dave. 
I think Orioles losses are going to take it just because um, the Red Sox, they're going to keep winning. The Orioles, they're going to keep losing. But there's going to come a time where if the Sox keep up this race, um, which they need to in order to get to the Orioles to win more games than the Orioles lose, eventually they just, like, clinch the division. And once that happens and we clinch home field, I can't see us really trying that hard anymore yeah. because you know Alex Carr has always played it cautiously. He's not going to chase a win record just for the sake of owning a win record. He's going to rest guys, make sure they're ready for the postseason, which naturally means we won't win as much. Meanwhile, the Orioles have no reason to play. They're not very good, and you know it's a whole lot easier to lose games than it is to win them. Their face will only keep on. They'll only keep on losing. Whereas the Sox may not win as much if we you know, clinch the division. And if we don't clinch the division early, it's because we're losing. So, therefore, we can't catch them anyway. Good reasoning. Uh, what about you, Jordan? Yeah, I, I'm going to go with the uh, Orioles' losses. Um, I think uh, Dave brought up a good point. Like, going, look, like looking forward to the postseason, if if we can clinch early. Um, it, like, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Core is going to... Uh, rest guys and then if we don't um we're losing so like one it's kind of hard to to get to that i think to that threshold but at the same time it's just like uh i mean core's core sell all year has been to rest guys when he can so i'm going with the oil's losses yeah i'm weary of the conservation strategy for cora especially into september and the red sox have a padded nine game lead I think the Yankees will remain within, I mean, uh, they're not really in striking distance right now. Red Sox have a very good shot at winning this thing, but I think the Yankees will be competitive throughout August, throughout September. They have an easier schedule than the Red Sox going forward, so they could catch up a few games here and there. I don't think the Red Sox are going to start losing um, that many, and I kind of have to believe that the Orioles can't keep this pace. Uh, they can. They just, they just blew up their whole team. They suck. But... Fangraphs projects the Red Sox to win 109 games. Meanwhile, they project the Orioles to lose 108. Same thing with the Kansas City Royals. Kansas City Royals actually have like a negative 40 uh, advantage at run differential or disadvantage, however you look at it. So the Royals have been the uh, worst team in actual like, you know, results. No, not results, but runs scored to runs given up. Um, but I'm going to go with the Fangraphs projection. I think it's more likely that the Red Sox get to 109 wins than the O's gets to 108 losses. I think even if the Red Sox don't put their best foot forward in September, they have the depth where they will still be scoring runs, hopefully. Um, and that actually kind of segues into the next question. So Craig Edwards on Fangraphs wrote a wonderful article, which I read with my eyeballs yesterday, and it was titled The Red Sox Shot at the Wins Record. So... To tie the wins record, Boston would have to go 34 and 11. The article was written yesterday, so um, I, yeah, I, I adjusted. It was 35 and 11. Now it's 34 11. So that means the odds are better. But the odds of tying per calculations before last night's game, they had a 1.01% chance of breaking the record, which is held by the Seattle Mariners 116 and the Chicago Cubs, but the Chicago Cubs in like 1930s didn't play the 162 game series. This is like pure winning percentage at this point. So uh, Dave, will the Red Sox get to this win record? I know you already said the Orioles will get more losses, so probably not, right? Yeah, absolutely not. We'd have to go on a like stupidly good clip. Our current winning percentage like you know, wouldn't do it, which really speaks to how phenomenal that Mariners team was, even though they lost in the ALDS. But um, 
Yeah, we're not going to make it for a variety of reasons. One, I think by the time we clinch the division or clinch home field, we're not going to put our starters in every day anymore. It'll be a lot of resting to keep guys fresh for the postseason. So there's one reason. But even if we do play all 162 games like we need to win each and every last one of them, I don't see us making it just because September is like an absurdly tough schedule. We have to play the Indians twice, the Yankees twice, the Astros come back into town. I think we, um, not the Mariners, there's another playoff team, the Braves. The Braves we have to face again. Um, we're starting against the Phillies tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but in the next series. So, you know, there's a lot of really good teams we still have to play. So even if we were trying to win as many games as humanly possible, like regardless of seeding, we're still probably not going to do it. Yeah, probability-wise, it's not in the realm of po- uh, No, I mean, it's, it's in the realm of possibility, but it does not seem likely... So I'm going to say no, but I would not be entirely surprised if they did win, get the record. I mean, it's pot like a 1% chance, you know, those that's obviously a very low odds of attaining that, but it is possible. People do this, people outperform. So hopefully the, I mean, that would be so cool if they broke the wins record. Um, but like, despite how they do in the postseason, which is inherently a crapshoot this is an amazing team this has been an amazing regular season and like i want the red sox to win the world series obviously but even if they fall short of their their goal this is one of the best teams i have ever watched on a game-by-game basis i think it's better than the 2013 team i think it's better than the 2007 team i think it's better than the 2004 team and they don't have to win the world series to prove that this is the first red sox team since like 1940s to get over 100 wins i'm speculating that they'll get over 100 wins but it seems very very likely they will there are only nine teams in uh, history to get over 105 wins the red sox have a very good shot of uh, eclipsing that so they could be the 10th team to do that uh what about you jordan what do you think about them and getting the wins record um see i i'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stick with uh, the uh the playoff uh, slash resting aspect of it um i think once we get closer to clinching the division um like dave said we're gonna start resting players uh cores like Core's goal is to have everyone healthy for the the postseason and a potential World Series. Uh, But um, I mean, I'd love to see the Red Sox get it. I think I don't think uh, there's any disagreement there. But um, I think as of right now, uh, I don't think it's that likely. No, it's not that likely. But it would be so cool. Um, but yeah, moving on, Eduardo Rodriguez is making progress. So he threw a BP session before yesterday's game against the Orioles. And Alex Cora said he looked quote unquote electric. So they have, he's going to do a bullpen on Sunday and then he's going to have a simulated batting practice on Wednesday. This is before the Phillies game. And then he'll have to go to a rehab assignment in the minors. He's looking like he's recovering quicker than expected, which is awesome. So we should be able to see Erod down the stretch. Now, in what capacity? I don't know. Um, but Dave, when when would you expect to see Erod back? So um, I don't think he's going to be ready until at least September. And even if he is ready a little bit before, We've got a big roster crunch coming up ahead, so I probably wouldn't put him back until September when the roster expands to 40 because you don't want to have to make too many roster yeah. moves. Um, but, yeah, I don't know um, when he's coming back. All signs point to him making a great recovery, but I'm a little worried just because we've been down this road before with Eddie. I remember 
I believe it was 2016. Yeah, yeah, it was 2016. He um, missed most of spring training with a knee injury, and he, you know, made his rehab starts in Pawtucket. And then that team had a real problem with its starting pitching, so they kind of just said, eh, screw it, and threw ready into the majors for six starts, and he just got absolutely shelled. He had an ERA in the nines. All the other peripherals were terrible. So they brought him back too early, and he really struggled. He went back to Pawtucket for a few weeks and then came back up and was the same old Eddie. So I'm a little worried about rushing him too quickly because this thing was, like, you know, possibly a season-ending injury. So I'd give him September to find his form. If he can pitch like he did before, awesome, but... My, I'm really keeping my expectations low with Eddie just because I really don't want us bringing him back just for the sake of having him, you know? Yeah, you don't want to rush him back into anything before he's ready. Um, he looks good, but we, we we should probably tread with caution. He's very valuable, and they need him for September and October, obviously. De, uh, Jordan, what what do you ex- or when would you expect Eduardo Rodriguez to come back? Uh, I think September is a good guess. Um I was just thinking uh, this year in particular, uh, we brought back uh, Pedroia when we thought he was good, and uh, and then he only played one game, and then went back on the on the DL and hasn't played since. So I think um, treading with caution is a great idea. Uh, we don't want yeah we don't want to bring him back just just to have him back yet. So I think we're, I think we're all on the right track. Wholeheartedly agreed. So the Red Sox play their doubleheader today. This will probably you're probably listening to this. I don't even know. You could be listening it to after game one. You could be listening to it Sunday. But yeah, we recorded at nine this morning, and the Red Sox have the doubleheader today. Their first game is at one p.m. Eastern. David Price will go against Jimmy Yakabonis. Love that name. That is fun. And then at seven o five p.m., that'll be the night game of the day night doubleheader. We don't know who's going to pitch that yet. It could be Hector Velasquez. Could be William Cuevas. Depends on if Velasquez pitches out of the bullpen in game one. And then he'll go against Yifry Ramirez. But for now, that's actually going to do it for this episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. Uh, Dave, do you have any departing thoughts for everyone? Uh, no, I think we covered everything we needed to cover. Yeah, what about you, Jordan? You got a departing thought? I'm, I'm great, man. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, Bobby Dalback is really good at baseball, or he's good at hitting dingers. Um, he has four home runs in AAA. I wrote this on the Daily Dose. His isolated power in Salem, uh, which is where he spent the most of uh, his season this year, he has a 375 isolated slugging percentage in in the uh, in Portland, which is like 22 plate appearances, not a great sample size, but he has a 900 plus slug and a 550 isolated power. The dude rakes. He kills it. I think last week, Dave, you did your departing thought on Bobby Dalbeck, but I, I'm going to do it again because he is so captivating to watch. I wonder what his timetable would be. I wonder when the Red Sox would consider bringing him up for a cup of tea in the majors. I don't know if it's this year because they have such a, you know, every every position on the position player spectrum seems to be covered, but he's might be ready sooner than uh, sooner than they expected, and he might force their hand because he can hit, and he's 23, so he's about the, uh, an appropriate age to be called up. So next year it'll be interesting. I can't believe he's not a top 100 prospect. 
That's weird to me. He's got so much power. I know it's kind of out of nowhere this year. In Greenville, he had 13 home runs. His slug was like 440. He was an okay power hitter, but he is taken to the fly ball revolution, man. He has a 61 fly ball percentage uh, in AA Portland right now, which is just remarkable. His ground ball to FB from last year to this year, it's not even in the same class. So, yeah, he's a launch angle guy, and it's it's been working out for him. We'll see how he progresses as the year goes on. And, yeah, I think he's definitely in the top on my personal prospect list, and I'm not a prospect expert by any means. He's a top five guy. He's right up there with Chavez. He's right up there with Groom. I'm excited to see what the future holds for him. But yes, that will do it for the 19th episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered podcast. Uh, you can go listen to this on iTunes, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and others. We are available through the RedSoxUnfiltered.com. You can go on to our website, click on podcast, and look us up. Or you can look at us, uh, look us up on the Grueling Truth, who is our affiliate. They post our podcast on some of these various outlets that you can listen to. Um, but yeah, we got the double header today. It should be a good one, guys. As always, thank you for listening, and go Red Sox. Peace.